The road we're on is paved in Garth. Come along on the journey. As we explore Garthology. Think of it more as a conversation. I like that. So if this is truly a conversation, then I say let the conversation begin. Hey guys, it's Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Garthology. Going forward, we plan to release new episodes on the 7th, the 17th, and the 27th of each month. So for all you Garth fans, you know why those numbers matter. In this episode, we'll be talking about Garth's cover CD titled Blue-Eyed Soul. We appreciate you checking in with us again, so let's get right to it. Garth released his Blue-Eyed Soul disc as part of the box set called Blame It All on My Roots, Five Decades of Influences. This eight-disc set was released on Garth's Pearl Records on November 28, 2013. It was sold exclusively through Walmart and the Walmart-owned Sam's Club Warehouse stores. The box set included 77 songs on six discs, plus two DVDs. Part of the set was a reissue. One DVD and two music CDs were a reissue of Garth's The Ultimate Hits set. The DVD contained 33 corresponding music videos. The newly recorded items in this set included four music CDs of songs that influenced Garth's life growing up. The other new item was a full-length DVD of Garth's live performance at the Wynn in Las Vegas, which we covered in Episode 4, Season 1 of our podcast. And one of the music CDs was the Country Classics disc, which we discussed in Season 1, Episode 8. So if you haven't listened to both of those episodes, be sure and download them when you finish this one. We will cover just one of the other CDs included in that set, Blue-Eyed Soul, today. The entire set of Blame It All on My Roots debuted at number three on the Billboard Top 200 chart and got to number one in its second week. Each of the four new individual discs were all individually certified platinum. Now let's kick it off with Jess and song number one. Hey guys, I hope 2021 starting out to be a banner year for everyone. I think we all deserve it after the raging dumpster fire that 2020 turned out to be. We sure hope that Garthology is one of the things that made quarantine a little less painful, and we're so happy to have a spot in your new year going forward. I'm kicking off this year's first episode with the opening track on the Blue-Eyed Soul album, which is I Heard It Through the Grapevine. This song was written by Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong for Motown Records in 1966 and was first released by Gladys Knight and the Pips in 1967 and then was released again in 1968 by The Miracles and Marvin Gaye. Now the version I'm familiar with is the Credence Clearwater Revival version that was released in 1970. The lyrics, of course, tell the story of a guy hearing that his girlfriend's cheating on him, only he hears it through the grapevine. There's some controversy about where exactly the saying, I heard it through the grapevine, came from. There's a quote from Booker T. Washington referencing the grapevine telegraph referring to how slaves communicated with each other and often got information directly from the post office or mailman before the news was actually delivered to whatever house it was destined for. However, according to the New York Public Library, the phrase derives from the infamous grapevine tavern in New York City's Greenwich Village because during the Civil War, it was apparently a popular hangout of both Union officers and Confederate spies, so that the exchange of information led to the phrase, I heard it through the grapevine. In any case, however the phrase came to be, the song made an impact on popular culture, and the song's been covered by everyone from Garth to the California Raisins. Remember those guys? (laughs) So as I said, I'm partial to the Credence Clearwater Revival version, but I think Garth does a pretty remarkable job with it, and he grew up with the Marvin Gaye version. Garth says growing up in his house, there was the Star Spangled Banner and there was I Heard It Through the Grapevine. His parents believed that if they hosted all the parties, then they'd know where their kids were, which meant that their house was always lively and loud from the musics to the fights, which were bound to happen in a house full of six kids. But being the baby, all the chaos was just normal to Garth. 
I think this version is just as spirited and soulful as the CCR version that I love so much. And Garth's voice gets down and gravelly and then high and falsetto. And he's really able to cover some ground range-wise on this one. And of course, he pulls it off like it's easy. Which version, if any, did you guys know before the Garth version? So I knew the CCR version as well. And that was the one I was real familiar with. And it's kind of crazy because I listened to that one while doing the research on this. However, I've heard this one quite a bit from Garth. and. I know that there's a lot of other versions out there. I'm just not sure that I like any of the other ones better than I enjoy the Garth one. I thought that Garth did a real good job on this one, like you said, as far as uh, how he was able to get into the song. I felt like he really, really put himself into the song, and he sung it from deep down. Like, he, it just came out of out of him naturally. And, you know, we've talked about him being an entertainer and being able to really find himself in any genre that he wants to play it to me. I know it's an older song and I know that it was recorded by Garth, obviously in a newer era. It just seems like he made that song fit so well today or when he recorded it, that it's hard to go back and listen to the older versions. Cause to me, it just sounds so fit so right for him. And I really, really enjoyed the song. I thought it was done very well by him and, it's interesting the information you pulled up on that as far as where the saying came from or, you know, the different ideas of where the, the saying came from. I'd really be interested to see where it started from because it's a pretty cool saying. Right. Yeah. I really think that this album in particular is vocally really strong for Garth of these four recorded cover albums in this particular set. I think his enthusiasm and the versatility of his vocal chops really shines through especially on this CD, though. And plus, I think, again, Garth has upended the country music because he looks at the norms in his genre and he says, nah, I'm not going to I'm not going to just stick to my little box. I'm going to shake things up and I'm going to do my own thing. And he records a Blue Eyed Soul album and puts it out like that's Garth for you. He just changes the rules. Yeah. And I think that this song, I think his vocals are perfect in it. I think it fits. He's got this funky classic, like perfectly in his swim lane. His voice is gravelly and gritty, and it really appeals to me in those sections. But he, like you said, he also hits some of those high notes at the end of like the verse where it's with some other guy, like he goes up mm -hmm. on guy. I love that. And the losing you lyric, I love when he can hit those notes and his, his voice is crystal clear and it's so good. So for me, I think this is funky Garth at his very best. I like it a lot. I love it. Strong beginning. All right. So we're going to pass it over to song number two and that's going to be Pete. Yep. I have song number two off the album and it's Midnight Train to Georgia. Midnight Train to Georgia was written by Jim Weatherly and became a number one hit single by Gladys Knight and the Pips in 1973. In 1974, it won a Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance by a Duo, Group, or Chorus, and to this day, it's still Knight's signature song. The song was originally written and performed by Jim under the title Midnight Plane to Houston, which was based on a conversation that he was having with somebody about taking a midnight plane to Houston. So obviously how they took that song and then turned it into this one, I feel, turned out pretty well. The song to me is a story of a man who traveled to LA to become a star, wanted a bigger, better, brighter life and realized that it's not so easy for that to happen. So he decided that uh, he was going to sell off his life in L.A. and head back to a place with simpler times. His wife at that time was not going to let him go home alone. So they bought a one-way ticket and hence the song uh, Midnight Train to Georgia. It's crazy to me how a song in 1973 is so relevant today. You hear so many people that try to leave you know, these small hometown feels 
to come to the big city to try to make big things happen for themselves. And it doesn't always happen so easily. As they say, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Today, you know, you hear a lot of people picking up their lives of where they might be at in a big city and, and heading back to, to smaller, simpler times, such as, you know, Idaho or Utah or some of these smaller towns, maybe back to Georgia. And going back to a life of simpler times where they know what they have there, they know what they can make of what they have there. It also shows that, you know what, it's okay in life if you have a plan for yourself, you come, you try to make it happen, you try to see it through. If it doesn't always work out that way, it's never just the end. There's always another way of finding your way to still be able to provide a lifestyle that you that you dream of. Maybe not here, maybe not there. So the song and the way that Garth sings it as well, you know, there's a little bit of a cut cover that he does on uh, some of the DVDs. And I know that he kind of brought a little bit of it to the Gershwin Award. And when he gets into it, like the way that He'll be standing there strumming, and then he just gets himself like into this. He just transforms into a singer, like you guys say, with a, that gritty type of voice. Or you know, like I said, it it brings him to an area, and he he gets down lower to the ground, and he, he kind of pulls the guitar in a little bit more. And I just love the way that the lyrics and the sound come out of Garth. And to me, this might not be a song. I mean, everybody, I mean, who doesn't know the song "Midnight Train to Georgia"? But I don't know that I would intentionally go look to listen to the song, but I have it on my phone. And when it comes on, it's just one of those you click up a little louder. And uh, I really enjoy this song. So what do you guys think about it? Yeah, I think it's a really good cover of a classic song. Garth stays pretty true to the original. His vocals are solid. The arrangement is really good. And overall, I mean, I like the CD overall. And I think that I never would have imagined before this came out, or even before seeing his wind show, I never would have imagined him releasing an album with these songs on it, because they're just, again, so outside of the country swim lane. But I think he's done a fantastic job of covering the songs, which proves yet again that he could excel at any genre. And I think the thing that I kept coming back to in listening to this song, I think his mom would have been super proud of this whole CD. Yeah. Yeah, these, those were the songs and the music that uh, on the wind, you know, she'd turn up and uh, play a little bit louder and, and she'd have them repeat and play back. Yeah, I actually knew Trisha's version of this before I knew Garth's version because she used to close her shows with this one a lot. And so it was so much fun live and I'm partial to her version, but I actually really do like this one as well. And I love how the song changes perspective hearing his version, though, which I guess is more to the original version. But when Trisha sings it, it's from the first person point of view because she's the girl. And so she's saying, I'd rather live in his world than live without him in mine. And then when Garth sings it, it's from the perspective of the guy getting left behind because he says she'd rather live in his world than live without him in mine. And I really loved that. And I didn't really realize there'd be a difference. But I love the song in general, and I was really glad they put it on the album. Yeah, it was a good one. So with that, we'll go over to Deb and song number three. Yes, back to me for song number three. And it is Hold On, I'm Coming. Hold On, I'm Coming was written by Isaac Hayes and David Porter. Isaac Hayes was a well-known singer, songwriter, actor, and producer, and he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2005. A side note about this song, the original recording of this song was used last year in the Netflix original show Umbrella Academy, which my husband David is a big fan of. Me, not so much. But anyways... Including Garth's version here, there have been many, many covers of it, and Garth's rendition holds up really well. I think the horn section in Garth's band is fantastic on this recording, and I may make some enemies here, but I think that that horn section is possibly better than on the original. What did you guys mm -hmm. think about that? 
I don't know about comparing it to the original because I didn't actually know this song other than as background music in commercials and soundtracks and things like that. And I was actually going to list some of the places it's been used, but it's been in a lot of commercials and movies. So I'm glad that you mentioned some of them specifically because the list was overwhelming to me when I looked it up. But I do like the song. It's really catchy. And that makes sense why it's been used in a lot of commercials lately because, you know, they want things that are going to stay with you like that, that tune that's going to get stuck in your ear. But I did. I didn't know it, but I found myself kind of rocking out to this one. How about you, Pete? Yeah, you know, I listened to it a few times. It didn't really do it for me with Garth on this album. I uh, It was catchy, but it just wasn't one that I could get myself into. And I, maybe it's because a lot of the other songs on this album are songs that maybe I knew a little bit more of going into. So it was easier for me to really get into them. But on this one, it was, I found myself really hard to get into it. I thought, you know, I mean, Garth did it, so it must be great type thing. But uh, as far as the lyrics go, I was like, eh, you know, I, I, it didn't catch my attention. I found myself not paying as close of attention to the song as I did with the other ones on it. And it was just that one song on the entire album. You know, it obviously meant something good to Garth because uh, it made it onto the album. Okay, that wraps it up for song number three. Now let's go over to Jess for song number four. Song number four is Ain't No Sunshine. Ain't No Sunshine was originally released by Bill Withers in 1971. This song was inspired by the film Days of Wine and Roses which I've never seen, but Withers watched and said it made him think about how sometimes you miss things that aren't particularly good for you. According to Wikipedia, he was working at a factory making bathrooms for 747s when he wrote this song. And when it went gold, the record company presented him with a golden toilet seat. (laughs) I just thought that was funny and had to share it. That's awesome. (laughs) If I hadn't known this song already, I would have heard it in the movie Notting Hill, which I love because I'm female and what girl doesn't love Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant? But I did already know the song before that, though, and it's one of those that I couldn't say when I first heard it or how long I've known it, but it's just always kind of been there. It's got a really great sound, and it makes you just want to close your eyes and kind of groove with the music. I like hearing Garth perform this style of music in particular. When he gets really into it, I find myself nodding my head like, yes, like I just really enjoying it more when I can hear him enjoying it more. And Garth says if Smooth had a voice, it would sound like Bill Withers. But I would argue that Garth sounds pretty smooth on this one, too. Are you guys like me? Did you know this song without really knowing how you know it? Or was Garth's version the only one you know? Or I actually knew it. And uh, I'll tell you how I did know it. Long time ago, when I was a little younger, I had a little rider truck. And we used to all go to the boulevard, like we'd go to Whittier Boulevard, which I guess was a big thing before I was a teenager, and different areas. And that was probably the most listened to song in car shows. I don't know why. I don't know why. Apparently, it sounded good on speakers or whatever. But that's where I remember hearing the song from originally. Really? Back then, I just figured, oh, this is the jam. Everybody listens to it. And so you would listen to it and you would know it. Listening to it now, I have no idea why. I really don't know why, but I can promise you that was the song then. The way that Garth gets into it, it's kind of like he really opens himself up on this one, in my opinion. You know, that soothe Mm -hmm. sound that he gets out of his voice, and uh, he does really get into it. I love the lyrics. It's just, ain't no sunshine. I love the song. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, and I knew the original also, but my love for this song started with Notting Hill, without a doubt. Right? Like you said, yes, I'm a girl, but that is one of my all-time favorite movies. And so for me, the love of this song begins and ends with that soundtrack. I owned it. I wore it out. I love it. Every time I watch the movie, my heart breaks watching Hugh walk down during that sped up time sequence in the movie to the original version, not Garth's version. He was walking along and he was so lonely and life was just passing him by. And I mean, I could go on and on, but I just, uh, I will always hear this song and think of that movie. On Garth's version, the lyrics in the song are, I know, and it's repeated multiple times back to back over and over. I know, I know, I know. 
And I think it's like 21 or 22 times. And I don't know how he does it, but Garth somehow makes each one sound just a little bit different. And he builds it up and infuses each one with just like a little bit more feeling every time, even more so than the original. I don't know how he does it, but he just does. And so for me, I love that part of his recording. Throughout it, he sounds heartbroken and it hurts my soul, but his vocals are so strong. And I had the word smooth too. His vocals are so strong and so smooth that I just want him to come to my house and just perform that song on loop like over and over. And I just want to sit and listen to him because it's just so good. And it's so heartbreaking and soul crushing. But I'm here for it. I love it. Yeah, you and a few other people. Somebody better get her a glass of cold water. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me I should have Stephanie watch this Notting Hill after we finish uh, the other movie we're supposed to watch. Hope floats. Yeah, that one. <laughs> You've got to get on that. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to pass it over to Pete with song number five. Yep, I'm back with song number five off the album, and it's Drift Away. Drift Away was written by Mentor Williams in 1970. It was originally recorded by John Henry Kurtz in 1972 on his album Reunion. It was later given to the soul singer Dobie Gray, and it became an international hit in 1973. It became Dobie's greatest hit, peaking at number five on the Billboard Hot 100 and certified gold by the RIAA. Now with this song, if you love music, then there are only a couple things that the song will do for you, in my opinion. Number one, the chorus. Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll. Will always make you sing that part just a little bit louder every time. And number two, in the meaning of the song, music helps so many people in so many different ways. And we hear Garth talk about it a lot. He talks about how your guitar can become your best friend in your happiest and your saddest of times. And this song and listening to it, it always came back to that exactly, that whether you're in a good mood or you're in a bad mood, music was always the answer. It could be the answer for a lot of people who enjoy it. And in this song, it says that, you know, when you're feeling blue, you feel the guitar coming through to you. The song is great. I love the song. I love the meaning behind the song. And, you know, I was telling myself and writing this research about turning the music up a little bit, had the CD playing in my truck today when I parked it and the song was on one of my drivers took my truck to go get some parts and came back I got in my truck this song was on so loud I, I don't ever <laughs> listen to my music that loud and I for sure if I do I would have turned it down so it didn't scare me this song was on and it just was a little bit through that chorus give me the beat boy and I didn't want to turn it down the song just really gets to me in my you know for me personally the song really really gets me going I absolutely love the song drift away What'd you guys think? I remembered that this is also included in Garth's Ultimate Collection. So to me, I think this song really must mean something to him for him to include it on both. I knew the original also. And I have to say, I think Garth's version, it's actually, I think it has more feeling in it and more emotion in it. I think that his cut proves that he can really hold his own when it comes to singing. Like his talent to me, really shines through on this song. I think his notes are perfect. I think his vocals are gravelly and funky and just so dang good. And I could just clap along to him singing this song all day long. And I think I've decided of all the songs I've ever heard him do, I want him to re-release this song right now. I think that the world needs it. So Garth, I think you need to re-release this song, put it out in the world again. I think it's something we need right now. I can get behind that. This is 100% my favorite song on the album. It's another one that my dad sang and played guitar on when I was growing up. So my siblings and I all love this song. And I mean, it's a great song anyway, but I have a special place in my heart for it. It's one of those ones that's just a part of me. 
it's like fishing in the dark. And we talked about when we covered that one, I feel like sort of connected to Garth by the shared love for specific songs. You know, it's like if it's one that's special to you and he puts it on his album, you're like, oh, that's a cool little connection. And because music's so important. But he does this song Major Justice. I love his version of it. And that's a huge compliment because I love the original so much. So it'd be really hard for me to probably say anybody did a great job on this song and he nailed it. It it was really good. Yeah, it was good. Okay, and now we'll pass it over to Deb for song number six. Yes, I have song number six on Blue Eyed Soul and it is Stand By Me. Stand By Me was written by Benny King, Jerry Lieber, and Mike Stoller. This song to me is the epitome of a classic song. Everyone knows this song. Everyone can sing this song. It was famously featured in a movie by the same name, Stand By Me. And when the movie came out, Benny King actually re-released his video and then sped it up in time and it became present day. And it included two of the movie's stars, Will Wheaton and the late River Phoenix in the updated video. So I think this is another great cover by Garth. This is probably my favorite track from the album, which is surprising considering I've been raving about most of the songs on this that we've already covered. but. I mean, you have a spot-on vocal by Garth, an amazing song like Stand By Me, and then you include that unbelievable string section in it. I mean, come on. He should have just dropped the mic and walked away, because I think the recording was done here. So did you guys have anything to add? The song always makes me think of the movie. It's just tied together in my mind. But it was a great film and it's a great song. And of course, I knew this song. I don't know of anyone who actually doesn't know this song. Maybe not word for word, but they know a very good portion of it. But it's such a great sentiment and Garth does such a phenomenal rendition of it. I love the darling, darling part. And just, I mean, beginning to end, he he really did a good job on this song. Yeah, he, he really did. And like you said, it's probably a song... Anybody who has a radio that's listened to music long enough is going to know it. It's funny because the other night I had it on when we were driving in the car. Nicole, my 12-year-old daughter, actually knew some of the lyrics. Not all of them, but she knew some of them. She knew the idea. And I find out that there's a big thing going around on TikTok with this Stand By Me. And I'm like, oh, man. you know. So even the kids, they're using it nowadays to get into some stuff. You know, I listen to Garth's. And obviously, you know, being biased, I love Garth's. But the original release of the song as well is just, i mean it is unbelievable it just grabs you pulls you kind of into the song a little bit yeah i thought it was a great song i thought it was really good love it yeah it is a really really great song that wraps it up for stand by me let's go over to jess to discuss song number seven song number seven is shout You know you've been so good to me. You know you've been so good to me. You know you make me wanna This song was originally released by the Isley Brothers in 1959. They would typically end their shows with a cover of Lonely Teardrops, and at one of their performances, Ron Isley extended the song by improvising a sort of back and forth with the audience where he would say you make me wanna and he would have them yell back shout and later they suggested to their producers that they record it as a separate song and the producers agreed and suggested that they invite friends into the studio to simulate a party atmosphere while they recorded sound familiar which makes me think of how they recorded friends in low places and garth actually in the liner notes thank the 80 or so friends that stopped by the studio to lend their voices to this particular recording And he said it was great to see the Friends gang again. So I'm sure quite a few of those voices singing out Shout are the very same ones who yelled out Oasis back in 1990, which I thought was really awesome. This song's also very famously performed in National Lampoon's Animal House in 1978. So I'm sure some people are throwing it back to there in their mind when they hear it. But when you listen to the song right out of the gate, I think on any version, but I particularly heard it listening to Garth sing it. 
you right from the opener on, you know, it's going to be a fun ride. And it really does just take off and never let up. And I love a song like that, because you kind of can't sit still when it's on. And it's just something that you're going to listen to probably over and over again. Garth has a blast with it. And you can tell which again, like I said before, when he's really into it, it makes me like it more and I pay more attention to the song. So I loved that. I would have loved to have been present for this recording. That whole end section sounds like so much fun. And I can just picture them all grinning like fools when he's singing the a little bit softer now and a little bit louder now. Like it's such a fun little like they're all in on this big joke and big party. I think this one definitely takes the award for most fun song on the album for me. What about you guys? What do you think of Garth's version of Shout? Uh, definitely a lot of fun. And you know what I thinking about what you were just saying, you know, they have a Garth, the band and the the wall of sound, they all get together and they have a little, you know, thing before they go on stage. Right. Mm -hmm. And I could always see them there, you know, like if they're in the recording and they're all in this huddle, you know, a little bit louder now and they go and it boom. <laughs> but I got to tell you with this song, I don't know that I busted my knuckles to any more song than this one. Cause every time the word shout comes up, I want to throw my hands up every time. It seems like there's something of a whack hit it with my hand. <laughs> bust my knuckle it's a lot of fun and like you said the way that garth gets into it makes me get into it a little bit more it's just a very high energy very fun song yeah yeah for sure i know this song because of animal house i do not know if maybe i heard it before that but for me it will always be tied to animal house so <laughs> in in my head they're too linked i can never imagine one without the other so while researching for this song I actually found some videos of Garth performing Shout while on his stadium tour last year in Eugene, Oregon. He was doing a shout out, speaking of the Wall of Sound, he was doing a shout out to one of the singers of the Wall of Sound, Robert Bailey. And I guess so it turns out Robert Bailey, one of Garth's backup singers, was in Animal House. Okay, I didn't know that. Right? So they bring Robert up and he starts talking about it. They flash a picture from him when he was in the movie and they bring out 800 chorus members. They did it for two songs on this stadium tour in Eugene, Oregon, and they sang Shout and they sang We Shall Be Free Together. Oh, so cool. It is so great seeing that video. So I will find some of that. I will add it to our website so that you can see it also. It's super cool. It's really, really great. So I think Garth's version of this is really good. I think he gets down and funky. And like you guys talked about, you can tell they had so much fun recording this. And I think he hits those really great high notes again, which I love. I mean, I will always be partial to Garth and his gravelly, you know, when he really gets like down and dirty, but every once in a while he hits one of those high notes that I go, yep, that one too. I love that one too. I think that when the crowd joins in on the recording, when they do now, now wait a minute, you know, that little snippet of the lyric, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, when he does that little snippet, it just seems like we've all been taken to church. Like we're there, we're like hands in the air. I'm waving him around. I'm like, yes, Garth, yes. So I just love it. I think he did a great job on this song for sure. Yeah, such a fun song. Okay, next up is song number eight. We're going to give it over to Pete. Yep, I got song number eight on the album. And it is, I Never Loved Someone the Way I Love You. The song was written by Ronnie Shannon and released by Aretha Franklin in 1967 as a single. It was her first big hit and became a number one song on the rhythm and blues charts and peaked at number nine on the pop charts. On this song, I listened to the lyrics a lot. I struggled to get into it. I listened to both Aretha Franklin and also Garth's version. It was easier for me to get into Garth's version and get a hold of what the story was about. To me, it was a very simple story being told. I thought that Garth did a good job on it. I liked the way that he told the story with the way that he sung it. And other than that, it was really difficult for me to get any much more out of it, if I'm being 100% honest. I did go back, like I said, and listen to Aretha Franklin. And holy moly, did that woman have a voice on her. 
it was a joy to listen to because of how good she sang that song and how great her voice was. I think that that was a genre or time, an era that I didn't really get to enjoy a lot because of the age difference, I guess. But there's a lot of Aretha Franklin songs that I've heard. Going back and really listening to her a few times in a row while doing research on it, man, she was great. But uh, as far as the song goes, I, I didn't get a lot out of it. How about you guys? So like I've said already tonight, I love Down and Dirty Garth. Like you do some Down and Dirty Garth singing and I'm all in. So I think this song for that is great. I think he did a really good cover of it. I think the arrangement is really good. I think the band is really good. But all I kept thinking, listening to the song over and over, was, man, I want to hear an acoustic version of this song. Just Garth and his guitar singing all by himself. Like, take all the other noise away. Not that the band is noise, but I just mean all the other everything away. And just have it be Garth and his guitar. I just think that that would be awesome. I, too, for all the songs on this album, this is probably the song that I know the least. So this was, in my head, continuing to hear it as an acoustic version and wanting to just hear that, just hear Garth. And then also on top of it, not being familiar with the song. Yeah, I mean, it was good, but it was my least well-known as well. Yeah, I think I think Garth has that love for this kind of music because he's talked about that his mom really liked this kind of stuff. He probably heard it a lot growing up. This is not a genre that I'm all that comfortable with as far as like a knowledge base. I don't know a lot about it. There's certain songs that I know really well. This is not one that I knew. And honestly, on the album, it's not my favorite. But Garth gets really into it. And that's entertaining to me as a fan. So I appreciate the song for his performance probably more than I appreciate the song itself, just because that's not generally my style of music. Garth calls it nasty, and I would agree with that. It has a nasty, bluesy sound, and it's a it's a great song. It's just not probably in a genre that I would listen to much. So I think he did a good job, and I think because the way he tries to round out an album and have songs that fit each spot, it certainly probably filled that, because I know that there is a large base of people out there that love that kind of music. So. I think that it is exactly where it needs to be on the album. And he, of course, sang it ridiculously well, like he does everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, that will wrap it up for song number eight. We'll pass it over to Deb for song number nine. Song number nine is Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Dock my home. Oh, I'm on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll. Sitting on the Dock of the Bay was written by Otis Redding and Steve Cropper. Otis actually recorded the original twice in 1967, one of them just a few days before he tragically died in a plane crash. This is another all-time classic that Garth has included here. He doesn't really change anything from the original. The band just plays it perfectly, and Garth sings it flawlessly. In the Blame It All on My Roots booklet, Garth mentions that this song takes him back to Oklahoma summers around the house. And I think the feel of this is definitely a comfort to those of us who may be a little older and a little wiser. And it brings back memories of those early summer days and being lazy with our friends and family and just hanging out. I think Garth's version is really, really good. Obviously, this is probably one of my favorite CDs in this set. Like I'm just gushing about most of the songs on it. And for me, this is one of the top like two or three on this album. Yeah. And I think Garth does a great job with it. Did you guys enjoy this one? I did. I think I love every version of this song I've ever heard. I love the original, but I really adore Garth's version as well. I listen to this song a lot. In the 90s, there was a TV show called JAG. Do you guys remember that with David James Elliott and Catherine Bell? Yeah. So there was an episode of that. It was kind of like a flashback episode, and they played a version of this song in it, and I became obsessed with this song. I think I'd heard it before, but something about that version I loved so much. And after that, like every version I could find of it, I would listen to. And so I obsessively love this song. And uh, incidentally, 
Trisha had a recurring guest role on that show as Lieutenant Commander Teresa Coulter, and she was really good. She had like a six or seven episode arc. So if you didn't watch it and you're interested in that, you should go back and what? check it out because it was really good. Wow. Yeah. I'm amazed. Yeah. I never knew that. Me neither. Check it out. Hopefully Hulu's got it. She's done a lot more acting than I ever knew about. I have to look into this. I'm turning that corner, Jess. I'm turning that corner. <laughs> See? <laughs> I am all about Trisha. Because you're a smart girl. It's true. So my thoughts on the song, this is going to be a big shocker to you guys. First time I ever heard it. First time I ever fell in love with it. Top Gun. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were saying this the first time you'd ever heard it. And I was like, I'm disowning you. I don't even understand what's happening right now. Nope. Top Gun. Of course. I should have known that. How did we not get, figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great point in the movie, too, because... That's where the relationship starts between, you know, him and Charlie and uh, talks about his parents and you start hearing the is song. Is it when they're, they're in the kitchen was, or whatever and he comes over to, to where no, is it? No, they're sitting out in the patio. Yeah, they're sitting out After in the patio. After he's taken a shower? Nope. He was late and didn't take a shower. Yeah, but then he did. He went back in the house and took a shower. Well, he left to go take a shower. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Okay, for those of us that don't obsessively <laughs> know this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he says... Where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to go take a shower. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh. And then he gets on the bike and drives off. Okay, you're right. And they show the for sale sign. It's been a long time. You're we right. can't compete with Pete on I knowledge can't. Not of Top when it Gun. comes to Top Gun. No, I know that movie word by word. But that's where I originally first heard Otis Redding's version of the song. And obviously, when Garth did it, I was woo, over the moon happy. And uh, the way that Garth did I absolutely loved the song. And like you said, it, it, a lot of meaning behind it, you know, just sitting on the dock of the bay. Even back then, not Garth writing it, another song that really can put you mentally in the visual part of the song. And I love the lyrics of it. I enjoy the song. I thought Garth did a great job. I'm glad it made it to this uh, Blue Eyed Soul album. Me too. Yeah, it's a really good version. Okay, that wraps it up for song number nine. Let's go over to Jess for song number 10. Song number 10 is Lean On Me. Just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might, might have a problem that you'll understand. Lean On Me was another one by Bill Withers. It was released in 1972. And it's one of only nine songs to have reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with versions recorded by two different artists. Garth says in the booklet that came with Blame It All on My Roots that this song is soul, folk, and gospel all rolled into one. And I would agree with that. You can definitely hear each of those influences at different points in the song. He also says it became patriotic to him after he was honored to perform for four former U.S. presidents at the Kennedy Center back in 2011. He said he was nervous standing in front of them and their families. More specifically, he said he was afraid that he might fold like a cheap pair of socks, which made me laugh, but that the song lifted him up and carried him just like the lyrics were written. And I loved that. This is one of those anthems that everybody knows. Everyone sang this in middle school choir or saw the movie Lean on Me. Somehow, you know this song, but it's just such a part of pop culture now, but also because it's such a great song. I really enjoyed Garth's version, and I think his voice lends itself well to the size and breadth of this song. It's a big song, like something like We Shall Be Free. It has power and depth, and it makes you feel uplifted and inspired. And I think in that way, this song's right up his alley. Again, I know you guys have to know this song, so what are your thoughts on Garth's version of the song? Yeah, uh, in my notes, the one thing that I put on there twice in my notes was uh, the We Shall Be Free reference, because that's the song to Garth that I would relay it to. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that Garth does a phenomenal job on it. Again, I just, it really seems like he almost pulls back an entire lay of, layer of skin to get into this role, in my opinion, with the song Lean On Me. And when you listen to the lyrics, you know, Lean On Me, when it just shows that the right people with the right feelings and right meaning toward that person in their life, they open themselves up like, hey, you know what? Listen, you can always lean on me. I'll always be here for you. Again, real uplifting, very similar in, in the message to me for We Shall Be Free. 
like I said, the way that Garth just seems to pull off another layer to expose himself in a different genre and how he can truly open himself up to the music, the different genre of music is unbelievable. I thoroughly enjoy the way that he did it, the way that he sings it. It catches my attention. If I was to rate the songs on this album, probably top three for me on this album, the way that he sung it. Oh, man, I enjoyed him doing this song. Yeah, I did too. There is some piano work at the opening of this version that is really different from the original. It doesn't open like that. And then his first few verses are so quiet and so controlled. But man, on that first lean on me, Garth just announces himself and we are off and running because he just gets down into it and I am all for it. Like I just start moving and I just keep moving through <laughs> the whole rest of the song. Like he just does such a great job. And I actually found part of that video that you talked about where he sang it in front of the former presidents. Mm -hmm. He actually starts with America the Beautiful and then it leads into Lean on Me. And he's got this huge choir behind him singing. And it's iconic. Like watching him with those, that big group of people singing in front of these former presidents, it's beautiful. Like it's such a, an emotional thing to watch that I will definitely post video of that on our website because it's so good to hear him sing with that big band and sing this song starting off with America the Beautiful and have that big choir and it's really good. So yeah, I really enjoyed the recording of this on this album. I think he does such a great job. I love it. I agree. It's a great song. Okay, guys, we're going to pass it over to Pete for the last song on the album, number 11. Song number 11 off the Blue Eyed Soul album is What I Say. What I Say was written by Ray Charles and released in 1959. So while doing research on this song, I went back and I listened to the original Ray Charles version. The first thing that caught my mind was in that song and the original version, it was one minute and 36 seconds of piano introduction. Now, I love instruments and music. Two of my favorites, the acoustic guitar and the piano. In this introduction, that Garth did, I was happy that he did cut it down to a much shorter version. But through the entire song, you actually do hear the piano. And I thought that the piano fits really good in the song. I can tell that when they were in the studio recording this, they had a lot of fun. This is the kind of song that seems like you could have a lot of fun singing, a lot of fun recording, and it's not just the singer or the artist, it's the entire band. And it really seems like they had a lot of fun in making the song. What'd you guys think? This is another one that I feel like I know from movie soundtracks or from like commercials or something, but that I wasn't really familiar with. I definitely know the music of it, which maybe that's why it fits this spot on this particular album. It's a very music heavy song and the music is catchy and fun, but I did definitely recognize it. And to me, it's great background music or like driving music. As I was listening to it, I was just thinking like, I wouldn't have ever picked this, but now that it's on, if it came in and on in my car while I was driving, I could see just like turning up the music and taking off down the road. You know, it's that kind of music that you find yourself maybe going a little bit faster than you should while it's playing in the background. And so I really liked that. But it, it did for sure have a lot of music heavy parts to it specifically. Did you notice anything especially different about it, Deb? Or what were your feelings? I think the same thing. I think that... um it's definitely music heavy. Like you, I know I've, I've known it forever. I have no idea how I know it. I just know that I do. It's obviously a classic song from back in the day. So we've all heard it growing up. It just wasn't anything that I would normally listen to. So I appreciate Garth's version of it. I think he did a great job with it. I think the band just kills it. Like they are so good. Yeah. And then looking at the booklet that came with the Blame It All on My Roots set, Garth actually says, 
getting to play on records like this is every player's dream. So I think that really goes to show that this was a music-heavy song and that the band had so much fun playing it. So I appreciate that that's the spot that it fills on this album. I think that they really did a great job with it. And I say all for it for them having a good time. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having fun, and I'm glad they did. That they did. So that wraps it up for song number 11, What I Say. It also wraps it up for this episode of Garthology. Just a reminder, be sure and visit our website at garthology.com and leave a comment or go to our special tab and submit a show idea. Don't forget to go to the bottom of the page and sign up for our newsletter and go on your podcast platform of choice and subscribe, download, rate, and review. Plus, be sure and share us with your friends in low places. Yes, yes. Speaking of friends in low places, you can also find us on our social media platforms. If you enjoy visiting the Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com backslash GarthologyCast. And if you use Instagram or Twitter, you can find us at GarthologyCast on both of those platforms. When you are there, if you could like, share, retweet, and or just interact with us, we would really appreciate it. We enjoy the interaction. We like talking to the fans of the podcast, and we really can't wait to see what 2021 is going to bring you as our fans and the Garthology podcast. Hey, guys, it's Deb. And I'm Pete. And I'm Jess. So we're just dropping a quick note in to announce our winner for our very first giveaway. We want to thank everyone that entered. We appreciate you doing so. And I am hitting generate on a random number generator. And the winner is Bubba Strauss. Yay. Congrats, Bubba. Yay. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. And congrats again, Bubba. We will contact you soon to get your mailing information for your very special prize. Next up on Garthology, we'll be taking a closer look at Garth's fifth studio album, The Chase. As we did in the previous season, we'll break the album down into two parts. So first up, we'll be talking about songs one through six, which are We Shall Be Free, Somewhere Other Than the Night, Mr. Right, Every Now and Then, Walkin' After Midnight, and Dixie Chicken. We love this album and we can't wait to discuss it, so be sure to tune into season two, episode two, so you don't miss out. Until then, this has been season two, episode one of Garthology, and I'm Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. I'm like, what if we only review the first 10 and then we say, We'd like our listeners to write in and tell us what they thought about song number 11. And learn how the hell to say the word would. What I say. You can't even say the title right. Oh, my gosh.